1026. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. One more moderately cool day, and then we get an early spring, at least for a couple days. Lots of us are looking forward to that. All right, breaking news. Before we get to three big things, uh, Gene Miller was just telling you about uh, GOP Representative Sean Duffy, who represents congressman from the Wausau area, up-and-comer, of course, in Republican politics, both in the state of Wisconsin and nationally, was being talked about as being one of the leading candidates for the Republican nomination to take on Tammy Baldwin in 2018. Tammy Baldwin, of course, was elected to the U.S. Senate um, in 2012 in kind of the Obama wave. You might recall uh, Tommy Thompson and it was running against her. And I'm not sh- I think Tommy did a very, very good job. I'm not sure that anybody could have beaten a Democrat running in Wisconsin in 2012 with the Obama wave. Well, Obama is gone. Uh That means Tammy Baldwin is going to be running in 2018. There's not a presidential election. Governor Walker is going to be at the top of the the ticket, at least as far as the the governorship. And Baldwin is an endangered species. She is one of the most liberal members of Congress. She's kind of dug in her heels and simply said that she's going to be voting no to pretty much anything that Donald Trump wants to do, regardless of the merits of it. And I think she is going to be extremely vulnerable. And there's a number of of outstanding Republican challengers that are considering whether or not to get in the race. Sean Duffy was one of the names being mentioned. Now, his statement says, after much prayer and deliberation, Rachel and I have decided that this is not the right time for me to run for Senate. We have eight great kids, and family always comes first. Baldwin will be beat because her radically liberal Madison record and ideas are out of sync with Wisconsin. Amen. I look forward to helping our Republican nominee defeat her. I'll continue to work my heart out for the families of the 7th District, and I'm excited about the great things we will accomplish with our united Republican government. So now, of course, people are going to say, what's up? And as I often often say, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. (laughs) Sometimes it just is what it is. You have, you know, Sean Duffy, who is, like I say, a rising star in Republican politics. He can hold that congressional seat for as long as he wants, right? It's a solid It is now a solid Republican seat. He is extremely popular in that district. To run a statewide campaign, first of all, you'd have to give up your seat in Congress. So you'd have to be prepared to say, okay, if I lose, am I ready to do something different? You'd have to spend most of the next two years raising money. Now, I understand that there's going to be a lot of outside money that's going to be coming into the race and whoever the Republican nominee is is going to have the benefit of that but but essentially you are spending the next two years campaigning across the state and this is a very very big state you know running for that office and I think Duffy is probably looking at number one you've, you've got eight kids you've got the family obligations I think he very much enjoys what he does in Congress and finally even though there's going to be some rocky spots along the way with a Republican majority in the U.S. Senate, with a solid Republican majority in the House, and with a Republican president, this is the first opportunity that I think a lot of Republican politicians have had over in a long, long time 
really to get stuff done. Yes, the House could do things. Yes, the Senate could do things in the last two years with Republican majorities. But at the end of the day, the stuff wasn't going anywhere because you had Barack Obama in the White House with the veto pen and not enough votes to override the vetoes. That is now different. And I think there's a lot of people who are excited. They are energized about what the next few years is going to be. And I think from a quality of life perspective, as well as a hey, I've got a lot of unfinished business, and this is an exciting time to be in Congress. I, I think that's what's driving you know, Sean Duffy's decision. No more, no less. Sean Duffy would have been an outstanding candidate had he chosen to run against Tammy Baldwin, but this is a decision that I certainly understand, and trust me, trust me, trust me, there are a number of outstanding candidates who are considering getting into the race, and I am confident that whichever candidate ultimately ends up being the Republican nominee, and we'll be talking a lot about it over the course of the next year and a half, um, well, I, I don't know if they'll go into the race as the odds-on favorite, but I, I, Tammy Baldwin's going to be in for the electoral battle of her life. I pretty much guarantee that. Huge blow to organized labor. This story cannot be understated. For the last, actually, couple years... There has been a heated battle going on by unions, um, particularly the International Association of Machinists, who have been trying to get the workers at this Boeing plant in South Carolina, about 3,000 workers, they make airplanes, and they, they've been trying to get them to unionize. And it's been the, there's been a battle back and forth in the courts and all sorts of stuff. Well, finally... They ended up, up having a vote over the course of the last couple of days. There's three, like I say, there's about 3,000 workers, and this was viewed as really kind of kind of one of the watershed things for organized labor. They put a ton of resources into trying to unionize this big Boeing plant in South Carolina to give them a foothold. They've been losing more and more members. The South has never been particularly unionized to begin with, and the union membership has been declining dramatically, even from small levels, over the last few years. So this was going to be the thing that really turns it around. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the workers that decide. Now, the union, this is what the union were promising the workers. They were saying, our, our workers in South Carolina make 36% less on average, they're non-union, than unionized workers who are building the same planes at Boeing's main facility in Washington where the union workers are unionized. So they're essentially saying, hey, look, you come with us. You come with us. And you know, there's probably a good chance that your wages might go up as much as 36% because your union brothers and sisters in Washington State, they're making 36% more than you are for doing the same work. The company responded, yeah, that, that might be true, but our, our wages are set based on you know, what the, the local markets pay. So they go to the union. They are, the union goes to them. They're, they're making that argument. They're also saying, hey, this 36 percent, you know, wage difference, this increase that, you know, we think that you're going to be able to get, it, it's it's not going to hurt the company. The company's still getting as much money because you've got national contracts, so it's not going to hurt local businesses. You know, everybody should be paid the same. So even when they were dangling the carrot of a potentially a 36 percent raise, the votes are in, and the workers overwhelmingly said no to the union. About 3,000 workers were eligible to vote. Um, they estimate that approximately 2,800 
workers actually voted. And the unionization, the union's proposal to unionize, lost seven with 74% voted against it. You know, just a stunning number. Three out of every four union member people who were eligible to vote voted no to a union, despite the fact that the union was telling them, we're going to make your working conditions better. We're going to get you more money. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Again, this is a huge blow to organized labor because the organized the, the union organizers thought if there was ever ever a situation where we were going to be able to make a case, let us get inroads, get the union going here, it would be a situation like one like this. They spend a lot of time, they spent lots of money over the course of the last couple years, and the and the people that work there said no. Did these workers make the right decision, or are they crazy to have rejected the union? And why is it that you think that the union failed as badly as it did? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. And I think the other question then is, what what is the larger issue here? Does it make any sense to you that the Boeing workers would have said no to a union in their shop. They've got other unionized shops in other parts, in other states. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Did they do the right thing by saying no? And do you understand the vote? Okay, big story yesterday. A Boeing had been fighting unionization at their South Carolina plant that makes these aircraft for the last couple of years. And this was where, where the like national unions had kind of drawn a, a line in the sand. They were pushing hard. Vote comes in yesterday. Three-quarters of the people eligible to vote say no to the union. What's going on? Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're first. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I was telling your call screener that uh, I'm in one of the largest unions in the, in the country, the Teamsters, and from what I see, is that the union only only does basically is protect the lazy worker and the worker that doesn't come to work and the late worker that's got a lot of problems um, with coming to work, doing their job, and and they 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 constantly file like, grievances. And let me tell you something: the the guy like guys like me who come to work every day and do their job, we don't need the union. The new union needs us, and we're sick and tired of seeing this. And that's why most people, as soon as uh, our contract's up next year, we're all blown out. We're going to pull out, so I don't know what the union's going to do because we're only going to have the lazy workers uh, in their in their union. Well, I do know, Tony. I mean, thanks to I do know that there there's a frustration now. Part of the thing, you know, unions have an obligation under the law to represent all their members, and so what that does mean is that occasionally they end up in situations where they're they're defending the practices of the least common denominator. By that I mean you have you have the guy who. Okay, gets in trouble or is violating the rules or whatever. And even if 95% of the union membership go, you know, we, we think this guy is wrong. We don't exactly like what he's doing. Nevertheless, the union has an obligation to represent him. And I know that that causes some, some strife. Here's the larger point, though, but I think is going on. I think the reality, the reality is that in 2017, unions have to convince workers that there is something in it for them, that they need them. Now, I get the idea that the workers at the South Carolina Boeing plant like the company. 
I get the idea that they think they are paid fairly. I get the idea that they think that they are treated well. It's not like this is some textile plant in 1940. This is a modern aircraft plant. And I think the workers in general think, hey, we, we are treated well by the company. Why do we need... Why do we need outside representation? Why do we need to, uh, again, pay dues to a union when we're not sure that there's any benefit for us? And that's the problem. Obviously, the machinists union, the International Association of Machinists, failed miserably in convincing a majority of the workers at the South Carolina Boeing plant that there was, that there was benefit in what they had to offer and it was worth the dough. This is the lesson, I think, moving forward for unions. If you're going to be viable, you know, now you, you just can't count anymore on f- having people automatically be forced to join you. You have to demonstrate constantly your worth. You have to show why is it necessary, what are we going to provide, what is the value we're going to add. And if you don't, well, all right, um, you're, you're not going to make it. All right, big story number two, a, cur- a flap involving two of the candidates for a state superintendent of schools. The state superintendent of schools, a guy named Tony Evers, who's a big-time lefty. He's been in office since 2009. He's up for re-election this April. The state superintendent of schools, I haven't talked much about this race because, candidly, I don't care that much about this race. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. The, the state superintendent of schools... Um, it is the only statewide office, I think, realistically, it's a nonpartisan office, but Evers is a Democrat. He's supported by Democrats and by the teachers union and things like that. Um, given the fact that the state Supreme Court is controlled by conservatives, given the fact that the Republicans have overwhelming majority in the state legislature, given the fact that the governor is a Republican, uh, the state superintendent of schools is, is as much of a figurehead position as anything. And I know some people might cringe when I say that, but the, the reality is there's n- very little that Evers can do that if he gets completely out of line can't be undone relatively quickly by the state legislature. So it, it's a it's an office that, well, it's as much of a figurehead thing as anything. It, it does regulate state standards when it comes to licensing, and and there is some authority. And clearly, it would be good to have somebody who I think you know perhaps didn't toe the standard traditional public education line. But at the same time, it's not a high priority race. So anyhow, there's these two candidates that are vying to challenge uh, Evers, and one is a guy named John Humphreys, and the other is a guy named Lowell Holtz. And you, you, matter of fact, you heard some ads just a little while ago by, by Holtz. Um, apparently what happened is the two of them get together, and there's some unnamed people in the business community who supposedly suggested, well, you know, why don't you two guys you know, get together and decide, and, and, and maybe one of you, rather than running against each other in a primary, maybe one of you could, could drop out. The idea being, as again, I was talking about Tommy Thompson running against Tammy Baldwin earlier. If you will remember um, six years ago, contested primary race for the U.S. Senate. Tommy Thompson comes out on top. I think it was a four-way race off the top of my head. But Thompson had spent all his money. So he was essentially the Thompson for Senate campaign was dark for about a month. Meanwhile, Tammy Baldwin's got all this money. She's advertising. She buried Tommy, and he never recovered from it. So this is kind of the idea. Some people are saying, instead of the two of you running in the primary against Evers, why doesn't one of you drop out and then 
you know, you can save your, your ammunition and then there'll just be one person who'll be better positioned to challenge him. Now it, it's getting weird because one of the guys is saying, yeah, well, we got together and talked about it. And one guy was telling me, you know, apparently I, I was offered a, a job for three years, you know, as a superintendent of one of these schools or something like that that paid all this money and had a driver. It, it's, it's this he said, she said thing going back and forth. I exactly don't know what the truth of this is. And it's one of those situations where, again, whoever's running these various campaigns of these guys needs to get their act together. I don't know what the truth of this is. I do not have a position as to which one of these two candidates is better suited to challenge Tony Evers. I guess I will decide sometime before the election. But but the truth is, stories like this where one guy, we talked about this, and you know he promised me this or he promised me that, and the other guy says, no, I didn't. This is It is not constructive. And why throwing charges around like that in a primary election anybody thinks helps is beyond me. But big story of the day, number two, a hissy fit breaks out between the two people who want to challenge Tony Evers. The winner of this hissy fit, it's easy. It's Tony Evers. Everybody knows right now that National Security Advisor to the President, Michael Flynn, stepped down the other day. Um, he is being investigated. Apparently, what, what happened was in the interim period between when... Donald Trump was elected president, but before he became president, um, Michael Flynn, who was slated to be the national security advisor, but still was a private citizen, was having various contacts with with people associated with the Russian government, including the Russian ambassador. Um, These contacts included not just face-to-face meetings, but phone calls. Apparently, the government routinely taps the phone of various Russians. And if they're, and again, from a national security perspective, they they tap the phones. So a couple of the conversations that Flynn had were recorded. They were caught in these wiretaps. Presumably Flynn didn't know he was being recorded. I would assume the the Russians, if if they didn't know before, they know now. But I assume they proceed on the assumption that our conversations are being wiretapped. So, So that's it. In the course of the conversation, Flynn apparently discusses the sanctions that Barack Obama had put on. Now, there are some people who suggest, and I don't think this is true, that Flynn might have committed a crime. There's this thing called the Logan Act, which says it is unlawful for essentially private citizens to conduct American foreign policy. I don't believe there's ever been anybody that's been prosecuted under the Logan Act. And at least in my opinion, this would not be one of those cases. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, for example, somebody from an incoming administration having preliminary conversations about, you know, what what the new administration might view things that the old administration had done. I just don't think that this, if there was ever going to be a violation of the Logan Act, I don't think this this is that. But anyhow, that's not what really takes down Flynn. Flynn has these discussions, and the subject of the sanctions apparently comes up. Afterwards, Flynn goes to Vice President-elect Mike Pence, who's doing vetting and things like that, and tells Pence, we, we did not discuss sanctions. And so then Pence goes on the talking head shows and whatever and says, no, yes, they had conversations, but they, they didn't talk about these sanctions. 
Well, it turns out that that was was not true. So again, in the category of the cover-up being worse than the crime, what what really undoes Flynn is not that he had these discussions. Because, again, some people might argue it's a violation of the Logan Act. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, again, somebody who's a representative of the incoming president having these discussions, talking about where, where we might be a couple weeks from now. I don't think that's a violation of the law at all. But he was not forthright, at least with some members of the Trump administration, about it. And, and that's, what, that's what did him in. So there are some people who are, you know, saying, okay, this is, you know, this this is terrible. But the reason this all becomes public, of course, is that you have a handful of people who have access to these classified documents who are running to the Washington Post and the New York Times leaking them. Let me read you a portion of a story that appeared two days ago in the New York Times. But the Washington Post has had similar stuff. Phone records and intercepted calls show that members of Donald J. Trump's 2016 presidential campaign and other Trump associates had repeated contacts with senior Russian intelligence officials in the year before the election. American law enforcement and intelligence agencies intercepted the communications around the same time they were discovering evidence that Russia was trying to disrupt the presidential election. The officials interviewed in recent weeks said that so far they had seen no evidence that there was cooperation between the Russians and the the Trump campaign. Um, It then goes on to say... Uh, Officials said the intercepted communications were not limited to Trump campaign officials, included other associates. On the Russian side, the contacts included members of the government outside of intelligence services. All of the current and former officials spoke on the condition of anonymity because the continuing investigation is classified. Let, Let me translate that. You've got, it appears, at least four people with access to classified information who are going to the news media and leaking transcripts and information to them in an attempt to discredit Donald Trump and members of the Trump administration. This information is, in fact, classified. Now, it is a crime. As a matter of fact, there there are a series of crimes to leak classified information. For example, I am looking at Title 18 of the United States Code, Section 798, which says whoever knowingly and willfully communicates to an unauthorized person, that would be, say, a reporter for the New York Times or the Washington Post, any classified information obtained by the processes of communication intelligence from the communications of any foreign government, knowing the same to have been obtained by such processes, shall be imprisoned up to 10 years. So in other words, if you are part of the intelligence community, you know that, for example, there is surveillance of Russian officials going on. You have access to the transcripts of the phone conversations. If you disclose that to people not authorized to have it, you're guilty of a felony. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. This is the scandal. The scandal isn't, you know, whether or not a representative, you know, somebody with associations to Donald Trump, you know, was talking to a Russian businessman or somebody that they may, or an ambassador, about, you know, what 
might happen a month from now once Donald Trump takes over. The scandal is that you have people inside the government with access to classified information who are deciding to run to the Washington Post and the New York Times with it. By the way, there's another provision of the law that I think would give you a basis for prosecuting the reporters for publishing this information. I'm not advocating that, but to me, the scandal is going after the leakers. Who gets to decide what classified information gets to be made public and what doesn't? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I'm sorry, that is the outrage. It is that there's people with access to secret information who are deciding to disclose it to the media. Winston on the south side. Winston, you're first. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Say, listen, you are just spot on. And the thing is, the people elected this man. You know, President Trump, I voted for him. Uh... Everybody who voted for him got him in office. Let the man do his job. All of it is is it's this liberal, and you know. It's well, it's it's let let's crap. try to bring him down. I mean, look, I you, you've got you've got. I'm, I'm hearing all that. Well, we've got you've got these career bureaucrats who are upset with the Trump administration. Okay, well, follow the it's law. All if, rhetoric, right? It's if all you, rhetoric. You know, Winston, if you have access to top secret information that you are not allowed to disclose, I would well, be afraid to go into jail or yeah. prison. Um, yeah. yeah, no, th- th- exactly. Th- see that—that's what the—that's what the outrage to to me is. And again, I I don't think. I mean, Flynn's crime. Flynn's was it was not Flynn's mistake was he didn't apparently he was not candid about the nature of his conversation. All right, that that's not a crime. That's just an issue of bad judgment that costs you the boss's trust. But the people who are running, who ran, and are continuing to run to the newspapers. With information, sensitive information, classified information, they're the ones that, in my opinion, are committing the crimes. Let's talk to Jeffrey in Wauwatosa. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey there. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I think the unfortunate predicament the Trump administration has fallen into is that nobody, or at least the majority of the general public, doesn't really trust them. So much so that there are government officials within the organization that have access to this type of information that they want to leak it to discredit their own, mm-hmm. I mean, employers in a twisted sort of sense. Um, yeah, with the emphasis on twisted, yes. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, I, to be honest, I this whole, you know, political situation of the past year or so with the election stuff has been frustrating for me to listen to, and this is just, right. you know, an escalation of the craziness. See, there, there are, and there are ways... There are ways that this classified information can get put into the hands of people, you know, who are, for example, there are all sorts of ways that this information can wind up in the hands of Senate oversight committees or congressional oversight committees uh, that, that have Democrats on them, for example, who aren't sensitive to Donald Trump or aren't especially, you know, um, who, who don't particularly like Trump. So there, there's ways and there's channels that this information can be passed on. But but to go to the New York Times or to go to the Washington Post and decide, okay, I'm going to decide what classified information is going to be public and what isn't, that to me is a very, very scary uh, – it's a scary prospect. But I just – it scares the you-know-what out of me that you have career bureaucrats or – uh, political appointees or whoever this is that are making these decisions that, okay, the rules don't apply to us. And to me, that, and again, this is why you're never going to see this spun this way in the media because they like to have the sources. Okay, so what, what, the, what the writer is saying is who cares about the laws? All right, that this is the, the greater good. 
if if it wasn't for somebody violating federal law and leaking classified information, then the public might not have found out about this. Well, first of all, that's not true because th- these intercepts ha- had been people with knowledge of this were aware of it. The acting attorney general had it. The FBI had it. The information was out there. Sooner or later, this information would have in all likelihood come out through legitimate channels. And it had, in fact, been communicated to, to President Trump. At some point in time, the information would come out. Now, it might not have come out on the timetable of New York Times or the Washington Post. And it would have probably come out in a fashion much much less compromising to national intelligence. But I don't care. This idea that, well, it's for the greater good. You know, we can decide what laws apply and what laws don't apply. I'm sorry. I just, I don't buy this. 414-799-1620. And again, it's a very dangerous precedent. So you say, okay, it's I've got... I have this information. I don't like the fact that we're conducting covert spy operations in wherever. You know, X country. So I'm going to... I'm going to release the names of the people who are working for our government in this particular country. I'm going to compromise the spy situation. You get to make that decision because you don't like the operation. Jason in New Berlin. Jason, you're on 620 WTMJ. How you doing, sir? Good morning, sir. I just think it's kind of funny. Well, funny maybe is the wrong word. I think it's uh, getting a little old the way that the liberals keep spinning it in the media, and they're doing it quite successfully. It's a uh, Kind of comes back to that old adage, if you don't like the conversation, change the subject. Right. And, you know, the matter is here is that Flynn was a little bit wet behind the ears. He should not have been having these kinds of conversations. He should have known that these kinds of... uh, conversations were going to be recorded and I, right and he probably should have, happened, he should he should have waited three or four weeks to have them when he's the national security advisor i agree with you completely <laughs> right so i mean you're you're dealing with on one hand what you might argue unethical maybe professional incompetence but on the other hand you're dealing with a much more uh, much bigger problem you're dealing with security leaks and you know yeah. when, when you're dealing with national security yeah. and people that are holding this information with such Lack of regard for yeah. what they're holding, and right. that they're leaking it to the news. It's right. You, yeah, th- this wasn't for it. the this wasn't for the greater good. This was a, this was an effort to try to embarrass Donald Trump. That's what this was all about. Let's try to undermine the administration because we don't like him. This this that's what this was, and of course it worked. But right. that to me is again that to me is not the story. I don't care about whether Michael Flynn is the national security advisor or not. I don't care about that. I do care that there's bureaucrats or elected officials or, or appointed officials with access to classified information who don't think the rules apply to them. That's what scares me about this whole thing. Well, I saw some comparisons on social media yesterday in regards to uh, comparing this situation to the situation with the data that was leaked from Hillary Clinton's emails, and they're two completely separate things. Mm-hmm. You know, she was feloniously uh, storing the stuff on a server that was ultimately deemed to not be, you know, she shouldn't have been doing that. So you've got that on one hand, but on the other hand, you've got people with class of top secret access that are just willfully letting this stuff out to the to the news. To, to serve, How is this right. any different than a Snowden? How is this any it's different? It's not, than- right. It's no, I mean, thanks for, that's exactly, it is no different than a Snowden. Now, again, I, I understand this isn't the take that you're going to get conventionally, 
and you have a lot of the mainstream media folks who are kind of like you know, rallying around the flag and patting themselves on the back saying, you know, we have exposed that this great cover-up and these, these whistleblowers are heroic. No, I, I think people who have access to classified information, who take it upon themselves to go public, that's not a whistleblower. That's that's It is a criminal at best. I could probably come up with other words as well. Thirty-five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Oh, Jane Matner wasn't kidding me. Apparently, Honda, we made the New York Times. They were listening to the show yesterday and talking about uh, again. It's, it's in the category of we were talking about the Trump campaign and actually what we were just talking about the administration's actions. And uh, Jeff Wagner, not a supporter of Mr. Trump, said he believes some of the administration's actions so far should have been executed differently, but defended the president on his show. Yes. That, that was it. And by the way, I, I want to see the president succeed. I wanted to see Barack Obama succeed. It is in all of our interests that the president succeed. Um, because when the president succeeds, that means there's a good chance that all the rest of us are going to succeed. Uh, with the weather on the uptick, Pokemon Go is announcing an expansion to the popular mobile game. Could it be coming to a neighborhood year, near you? Get the details on WTMJ today at 1250. Just be careful. If you're going to put it in a park, you're going to have some of the people who live by the park be upset that, heaven forbid, people are coming to the park. All right. I have always believed that, I mean, the, the lesson, there's many lessons of the Vietnam War, and I was just a little bit too young to actively involved in it, but I involved, I remember, like, all the controversy. I, I think one of the lessons of the Vietnam War and many wars is that you never get involved in a ground war unless you have clear objectives, unless you, you can define, all right, we're, we're in it to win it, and we know what winning is, and we're, we're going to figure out a way to not only get in it and win it, but then get out. And if you can't explain what are the objectives, you know, what, what does winning entail, and how are we going to get out, then you need to think really long and hard before you want to get in it in the first place. So report out yesterday, CNN had it, The Hill had it. The Department of Defense, uh, the Pentagon, is reportedly considering proposing that President Trump send conventional ground combat forces into northern Syria for the first time to help speed up the fight against ISIS. Right now, we have about 500 special operations forces that are authorized to be in Syria, although the, the number kind of fluctuates up and down. But, but in general, the, these ground forces are there, you know, training and things like that. So far, the United States has not yet sent conventional forces into Syria, and doing so would be a, a market change. Syria is a mess. You have in Syria a monstrous civil war that is going on. Um, you're never sure exactly what side you want to be on. For example, um, th- there's these Kurdish forces that are o- that are you know operating in Syria. The U.S. considers the Kurdish forces to be the most effective ground partner in Syria. Turkey 
neighboring Turkey, considers them to be terrorists who are an extension of Kurdish, separat- Kurdish separatists. So it's, it's another one of these things where, again, it's tough to figure out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. There's a civil war going on. You've got really, really tight terrain, tough terrain, and the Pentagon is saying maybe we should send conventional ground troops in to northern Syria. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty eight hundred eight seven seven one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll Free Talk Line. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves with this, but when I hear this, and I think about again those standards that I typically have, what exactly is our mission? How do you define winning? And and how do you figure out an exit strategy? And I hear us talking about sending conventional ground troops into Syria. All sorts of alarm bells go off. 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Don't get me wrong. I, I think we need to do everything feasible to fight ISIS. I would rather fight terrorist organizations on foreign soil than have to fight terrorist organizations in the United States. At the same time, when I hear about plans to deploy potentially large numbers of conventional ground troops into the middle of essentially a country torn by civil war like Syria, red flags go off. But the idea would be this would give us a chance to more effectively try to combat ISIS on ISIS's turf. 414-799-1620, That is the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. What is your reaction to conventional ground troops in northern Syria to fight ISIS? Do we want to be getting involved with lots of boots on the ground? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 941. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 944. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Eight years ago, he was a major part of a Yankees bullpen that won a World Series. Now with the Brewers, he's just trying to get back on a Major League roster. Pitcher uh, Joba Chamberlain. Is that how you say it, Joba? Chamberlain, was, uh, he joins Matt Pauley tonight on Brewers Weekly at 8.15. It's good to have Brewers Weekly back. It is. It just, it's, it just it kind of gets you in the mood for spring and summer. This is a proposal, and I understand it's just a proposal by the Pentagon right now, but it should be sending off red flags all over. Pentagon is apparently considering going to President Trump, and he's the one that have, would have the ultimate authority, and saying, all right, If we want to fight ISIS, what we need to do is we need to have more conventional troops on the ground. Right now, there's about 500 advisors in Syria, mostly, you know, working with rebels. But the problem is, again, you're in the middle of a civil war, and it's sort of tough to tell who really is the good guy and who really is the bad guy. And who we think the good guys are, our neighbor and partner, our friend and partner, Turkey, they have a different opinion on this. But so you're trying to figure that out. And the idea is we want to have boots on the ground to fight ISIS. And yet there doesn't appear to be a strategy as to getting people in or out or what victory is going to be. My only caution would be be extremely careful going down this route because, again, the last thing, 
the Russians learned the hard way that you go into Afghanistan and it's very, very difficult to get out of Afghanistan. The last thing that we, it seems to me, want to be doing is, again, committing significant American ground troops, putting lives on the, at risk in, in daily combat situations in a place like northern Syria unless we have a very clear objective as to what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to get out. All right, let's switch gears. Robin Voss is the Speaker of the Assembly. Robin has been on the program many times. Robin is, and I don't mean this in a nasty way, I don't. He he is very tied into the road builders organizations and um, is a proponent of expanding and improving and repairing roads. He's a big advocate for that. And I, I don't, I'm not going to just suggest that it's driven solely by all the support he gets from the road builders, but because I think it is in our interest to have good quality roads, and it's certainly in our interest to expand the roads. Um, Robin Voss in the Assembly has been one of the people, probably the loudest voice, saying, we need to look at providing increased funding for the roads beyond just borrowing, like Governor Walker is talking about. And um, Voss is talking about uh, one of those ways, one of the things that needs to be on the table um, is to raise the state gasoline tax. And there's this kind of amorphous proposal out there to increase the gas tax by about four and a half cents. The gas tax in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin portion of it, has been stuck at a little bit north of 32 cents for a number of years it's been frozen. Voss is one of the people saying, hey, we need to look at increasing it. There does not appear to be much political support for this. The Journal Sentinel had a story, you know, the other day talking about how um, a number of representatives, Republicans, were apparently at this conference asked to raise their hands if they supported raising the gas tax to pay for roads in their areas. These were rural representatives. Um, none of them raised their hand <laughs> um so and, and this is what i am being told um my my friends in the state assembly because one of the questions i've been asking is you know what what is the end game here i mean the governor says he did not get elected to raise taxes and he says that the gas tax increase is a non-starter doesn't that pretty much end the discussion and at least the, the people that I am talking to, Republicans in the state assembly, are telling me the same thing. They're saying, well, okay, the, the Speaker of the Assembly wants this on the table and wants to push it, but given the fact that the governor is saying no, and given the fact that a lot of people ran for office on platforms of not raising taxes, it appears to be a complete and total non-starter, regardless of what the Speaker of the Assembly you know, might be, be saying. Need, nevertheless, though, this is one of these ideas that's out there, and it's very clear that you need more money that's going to have to come from somewhere to you know, increase spending on roads, or you're going to have to delay projects. So, I mean, the Speaker of the Assembly is saying he wants to increase revenue for roads by $300 million over two years, and one of the things that's on the table would be a gas tax increase. 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. It seems to me that this is a complete and total non-starter. If, if we were to go, if Republicans were to go to the general public and say, you know, we want to we raise your gas, the gas tax by, by a nickel. 
So, you know, every time you go to a gas station and you, you fill up your tank, it's, let's say you put 10 gallons in your tank. I understand it's probably not filling it up, but you put 10 gallons in. That's, that's an extra 50 cents. Um, I just, I do not see any sort of political will for that. And I don't think, I don't think the people of Wisconsin are going to support it. I don't think people are convinced that roads are that bad around here. I don't think people are convinced that it's the worst thing in the world to delay some of the different projects. But maybe I'm wrong. 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. How would you feel about your gas tax being raised by about a nickel a gallon? Like I say, 50 cents on every 10 gallons you put in the tank. Gas prices are very, very low. They're probably going to stay that way for a while. Would people even notice? It's 9.53, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The state gas tax has been frozen at a little bit north of 32 cents a gallon for a long time. Um, One of the ideas out there, and the biggest proponent in general conceptual terms, is Robin Voss, who's the Speaker of the Assembly, is increasing the gas tax. And even though there's not a specific proposal, what they're really looking at is maybe a bump of about a nickel, four and a half cents a gallon. At a conference with a bunch of rural Republican representatives the other day, None of them indicated support for this. That is consistent with what I am being told, but with people I know in the assembly, when I say, where's this gas tax thing going? Um, almost to a person, I'm being told there's no support for increasing the gas tax among rank-and-file Republicans, regardless of what the Speaker of the Assembly is talking about, particularly when Governor Walker says it's a non-starter. All right, how would you feel about a nickel increase in the gas tax per gallon? Mike on the northwest side. Mike, good morning. You're first. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm not a real proponent of a gas tax increase, but I do feel that I don't know what roads you drive on. They might be in good condition, but the roads I'm driving on are like worse than in war zone in Afghanistan. <laughs> and I would think that a nickel a gallon, if they if they would stick to a you know a couple of years tax increase and then go back to the thirty two cents just to get these things moving, mm-hmm. I would be in favor of it. Now, of course, you realize, Mike, that that a lot of that money wouldn't necessarily be used to repair roads. It would be used for the, the different road construction projects and stuff that's out yeah, there, you know. So that, that is that is the problem. Uh, the the uh, Department of Transportation is all effed up. Um, okay. Thanks. You can say that on the radio, I guess. Um, but, yes. <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, um, it's – I mean, see, that that's it. I mean, I think that that's one of the issues that you end up having – is this this whole notion of you know where is that money going to be spent and and how exactly is it going to be spent? Are you going to use this to I don't know finish the zoo interchange project? Are you going to use it to build rural roads? Are you going to use it to you know work on the I ninety four corridor the, from Milwaukee County down to the state line where a lot of Republican representatives in uh, that area have been pushing for it? Are you going to use it for road repairs? Are the roads really that bad? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Joel in Bristol. Joel, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. You know, over the last. 30 years, I'm wondering how much money has been taken from the transportation fund by the Assembly for other purposes. Yeah, they can't do it anymore, but there was certainly a time when the the transportation fund was a piggy bank for the rest of the state. Yeah. So, let's pull it out of the Assembly's budget. (laughs) (laughs) Let's let's regain what they stole from the transportation fund. Well, you know, I think the thing, Joel, that, that 
a lot of a lot of us correctly ask is that before you start talking about tax increases, have you done everything you can to rein in the costs of construction projects? You know, you, for example, you know, you're hearing a lot about the, these late, these fixed labor agreements and things like that. Is there a lot of unnecessary cost and spending that, that's going on now that is a starting point you eliminate before you even start talking about raising taxes? Oh, I agree totally, and and I've watched down here in in the Kenosha area where they they have rebuilt the road, and then three years later they tear it up and rebuild it again. Yeah, and I'm... and it's ridiculous. You know, we we have engineers that are self-perpetuating their jobs. <laughs> yeah, that that right. It, it is like yes, we we paid for this, we built it, and now we're going to have to pay to like redo it two and a half years later, huh? Bill in Oconomowoc, Bill, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Boy, Joe was spot on. We need to get the people that stole the money from the road project and put it back in here. Governor Walker has kind of put his head in the sand when it comes to infrastructure in the state. We are, and you may not agree with me, about three decades behind from where we should be. And he has just passed out money to his agenda-driven people. This has just gone like it doesn't exist. Well, okay, give, you, you, you said, like, give me an example. He's passed out money to his agenda-driven people. Give me an example of what you're talking about. Well, uh, come on. Uh, you, Jeff, you know what I'm talking about. Now, no, no wait, 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 it's, I, just, I asked you to give me an example, Bill, because okay, I, I just okay, want to put it in front. Perfect. Here it is. School vouchers. We can't give taxpayer dollars to private schools. That's ridiculous. Uh, okay. Ridiculous. Now, that's one example. I can go on and on and on. I mean, if you want... Oh, oh, well, well, I was, no, I was just, I was just wondering. Okay, I get. It. I, was, I was wondering. I, I, I was wondering if, if we're going to blame Walker for this, and he, he's, you know, misspent priorities. Okay, school vouchers. All right. I, it seems to me we're talking about apples and oranges because we're talking about a a transportation budget, not an educational funding budget. But look, I appreciate that infrastructure is important. Believe me, I get it. That's why, candidly, I would like to see a lot of the money that we are considering blowing, like in federal grants, for example, on, let me see, oh, yes, building a 2.1-mile streetcar that's going to go in a circle from the bus depot down to the Lower East Side. Maybe instead of spending tens of millions of dollars in federal money on that, we should be taking that same tens of millions of dollars and spending it, I don't know, like repairing some of the, the interstate roads. I'm just saying, maybe instead of looking at taking tens of millions of dollars and tearing up, the roads between downtown Milwaukee and the Medical College in order to put in a designated bus lane that will tie up traffic and will knock, oh, maybe about five minutes off the bus ride. Maybe we should be taking that money and, I don't know, using it to repair the local roads. Just saying. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but at least right now I think the perception is no political will for a gas tax increase Move to Plan B. 959, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in less than 10 minutes. Ladies, 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 I need your input. Where are you going to be and what are you going to be doing on March 8th? Stick around. Jeff Wagner, it's 10.08. Hondo, who's producing the show today. Hondo, mark the calendar. Wednesday, March 8th. If, if we don't see my dear friend Jane here, we'll, we'll have to wonder what's going on. Do, do, you have, do you have plans for March 8th there, Jane? Not, not offhand. Well, okay, then, 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 then maybe get ready for it. I, I have in my hands. All right, um, the organizers of the Women's March for Washington, you know, that happened you know, right after the Trump inauguration, they, they've, now, they've now decided what they're going to do next. They have set Wednesday, March 8th, is going to be called A Day Without Women. 
and they are calling for a general strike on International Women's Day. Presumably, sisters of the world unite and and don't show up at work. Just go out on strike. You are nodding your head. <laughs> what? You you have no comment on this. I I've, I can only imagine imagine how how happy management would be. <laughs> okay, well if if we Hondo, let's mark that down. If if on March eighth we we don't see our dear friend Jane Matinair, we'll 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 know what's going on. Actually, though, this is the launching point for what I want to discuss with you. Um, during the segment of the show every day, we call this Dealer's Choice. It is what I consider to be the most talkable topic of the day. Not necessarily the biggest topic, but something that just kind of tickles my fancy. And it is this: I, I have been wondering where where these protest movements go. Unlike the protest movements of the late 60s and 70s, where people were united against the Vietnam War, it was this common cause that was there. The the protests that have surrounded Donald Trump thus far have been, well, he has been the unifying force. It's people that that don't like Donald Trump, but it's people with, with all sorts of different agendas, ranging from mainstream to just downright weird. And you you have all these different groups that are coming together, united not because they agree with each other necessarily, but united because they they don't like Donald Trump. That, to me, does not sound like the the recipe for a successful protest movement. But, you know, what do I know? I mean, time will end up telling. And the big question I've had is, okay, where do you go from here? It's one thing you get a a huge crowd of people to show up and protest. and, And by the way, they had. A huge crowd of people that showed up and, you know, and protested around the inauguration. There, there's no question about it. But where do you go from here? So this is the people who were at least some of the people that organized the Women's March on Washington have now decided this is going to be the, the next act of general protest. March 8th, which is a Wednesday, is being dubbed a day without women. And it is being set for a general strike. Organizers said yesterday, in the spirit of women and their allies coming together for love and liberation, we offer a day without women. We saw what happened when millions of us stood together in January, and now we know that our army of love greatly outnumbers the army of fear, greed, and hatred. On March 8th, International Women's Day, let's unite again in our communities for a day without women. All right. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Your reaction to this, and in particular, I am curious about reaction from the females in our audience. Ladies, all right, March 8th is being declared as this, this general strike to stand up to oppression and rebel against Donald Trump and everything that you think is going wrong. What 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 is your reaction to that? And now that you know about this, are you planning to not show up at work? Will you be going about your daily business, or will you be uniting with the the great cause that was behind the the women's march? Hey, what are you going to be doing on March eighth? Are you down with this day without women? Let's have a general strike, or is this going to fail miserably? How will you react? How will you proceed? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. You're going to be not showing up at your jobs? 
Are you going to be, I don't know, for uh, stay-at-home moms? Are you going to be, that's what they're saying, too. It's not just people in jobs. You know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, are you going to be, I don't know, saying to hubby, you've got the child care responsibilities for today. I'm going to go out and march in the street. 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. Will this work? What's your reaction? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1013, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1015, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. The, the, the organizers of the Women's March on Washington, which, by the way, had an incredible turnout. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into the, like the, the Donald Trump arguments. Oh, the, my, my inaugur- the people who showed up for the inauguration outnumbered the protesters. No, the, the, the truth is, I mean, there was a very, very successful form of protest. There's no question about it. My question is, where do you go from here, especially since, unlike in the Vietnam War, where everybody's united against the Vietnam War, this is just people from all these disparate causes that come together. Well, anyhow, the organizers of the Women's March have now announced a general strike for March 8th, which is a couple Wednesdays from now, calling on women of this country to participate in a day without women, which presumably means you're not going to be going to work. If you're a stay-at-home, like a stay-at-home mom, you're not going to be taking care of child care responsibilities. You're going to be turning them over to somebody else, all to protest. Your reaction, 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. And ladies, how do you plan, now that you know about this, how do you plan to be spending Wednesday, March 8th? Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, you're first. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. It uh, strikes me that the irony is lost on these women that a protest um, – uh, against Donald Trump, if you will, or for anything that he stands for, for whatever their cause du jour is, um, that 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 protest, that 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 this protest, uh, women not showing up for work without women, where would life be? Where would we be? We need women to procreate. So this whole this <laughs> yeah. whole argument is is flipped upside down. It it is. It 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 just is in so many different levels, and that's why. Again, I think it's it's interesting. A lot of these organizers, I don't think they appreciate, like you say, the irony of some of their positions. Now, so, needless to say, Mary, you're not going to be taking to the streets on March 8th. No, and, and may I humbly suggest that I will start my day out at mass praying for these women who are somewhat misguided, if I may say so. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's see. Have a note. Uh, my wife is a professional administrator. This is the emailer. Um, how will she celebrate on March 8th? She will go to work and be proud of it. Yeah, I, um, I'm trying to think of all my, my female friends and uh, people, the females in my life that are close to me. I'm, I, I, just, I, I have a feeling if I were conducting a survey saying, hey, did you know that, that March 8th is going to be the, the international day without a woman? And there's a call for a general strike. So if you work... You know, as a nurse at the hospital, or you work as an attorney at the law firm, or firm, or an attorney at the, you know, you're you're in the corporate counsel's office, or I'm just, hey, how about people who work here? All the women that work here at the radio station, I, I you know, what do you think about not coming in? And I think almost all of them would say, well, we have jobs, we have responsibilities. Now, it's probably true that there's a lot of people. If you are a professional protester, or you don't have jobs, you don't have responsibilities, well, then maybe it's easier to do this, but. This whole I and look, there will be people that turn out, and of course, you know, you will have the TV cameras and you will have the focus on this. So I get that there's going to be some of that, but the truth of the matter is, 
you know, there are ways there are ways to object to things that are going on. There's nothing wrong with legitimate protest, but really, a day without women? Come on. 1019, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Chris Apley is in the news. Stick around. It is 1022, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. 30 degrees outside, but it is going to get a lot warmer. A Wisconsin company is making a sweet play for your dining dollars. John McCure takes you inside an iconic Racine company with a 70-year tradition. That is on Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 321 today. Uh, This story just, I mean, it just just gets worse and worse and and worse um, if it if it's possible um, last last weekend you had the horrible story of uh, it was Sunday morning West Allis 10 what 10:30 in the morning you had a 14 year old who uh, together with a 13 year old accomplice and I never thought I'd be sitting on the radio using the phrase 13 year old accomplice I mean you just you just it's just mind boggling. But you had a 14 year old with his 13 year old accomplice who devised a plan to rob at gunpoint friends of, of his for their video games and their marijuana. Apparently, they, they can I've now read the criminal complaint. The criminal complaint came out late yesterday afternoon. And you read this thing and it's just it's just mind boggling. Um, I mean, the the bottom line of all this is that the the 14 and the 13 year old um, had apparently been been in the house where the 17 and 19 year old lived and they were I, I get the idea that they were kind of they, they were they were friends they, they had hung out together and all so the 14 and the 13 year old know or at least they believe that inside this house where the 17 and 19 year old are um, there, there's marijuana and there's video games and things like that. So they come up with this idea that they are going to, you know, steal video games, marijuana, and some money that might be lying around the house. I mean, that just this is a 14 and a 13 year old, and this is their idea. Here, we need a little bit of money. I know. Let, let's go. Let's go get a gun and let's go rob um, th- these acquaintances of ours. So apparently, what happens is the allegedly happens is the 14 year old. Ends up uh, getting getting a gun. I believe he, he steals the gun from his father's residence. I think that's what the complaint ended up saying. And so he steals the gun. He goes over. First of all, that they tried to do this the night before, and it just it didn't work out. So it was an abortive thing. They go over on Sunday morning. Again, it's ten o'clock Sunday morning. They're trying to steal dope, and they're trying to steal money, and they're trying to steal video games. And one thing leads to another. And apparently, a 17 and 19-year-old end up resisting, and instead of just simply running away, the 14-year-old shoots both of them. The 17 and 19-year-old were brothers. 19-year-old dies relatively soon. The 17-year-old uh, clung to life for a couple days, and now now he's passed away. Now, of course, under you know state law, what ends up happening is that it, as long as you're you know 10 or older 
um, for a crime you know, like this, you are automatically placed in adult court for doing something like this, which I think is clearly and completely a- appropriate. <clears throat> Guy's charged in adult court, but he's 14 years old. The 13-year-old, they're considering, at least right now, dealing with in juvenile court. The 13-year-old was not responsible for pulling the trigger. Uh, I guess there'll be a decision made as to whether they want to try to waive him into adult court as well. But 14 years old. I mean, seriously, for people who don't understand that something has gone very, very wrong in this community, in this country, you got 14-year-olds that are grabbing guns and, uh, again, they're committing these various crimes. I don't know what the 14-year-old's juvenile record looks like, and so far that that's not public. Maybe I'll be wrong, but my guess is you are going to see a, a lengthy lead-up to this. I mean, admittedly, maybe you just wake up one day and say, hey, I'm going to steal, I'm going to steal a gun, and I'm going to go and I'm going to stick it in somebody's face to try to rob them of video games and money and marijuana. Maybe you just wake up one morning and you decide to do that. But my guess is probably not. My guess is that there's a host of juvenile contacts leading up to this, which, again, raises this question about what are we going to do and how are we going to stop this? Now, on a local level, if you are one of the people still wondering why we have a Milwaukee County Board, now I understand we have downsized, we've We've downsized the county board. We've also cut the pay of the supervisors in half. But but still, there are many of us who just simply don't believe we need a county board. Well, one of the latest examples, again, played out yesterday. Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley, the ever-politically correct Chris Abley, with much fanfare, signed this anti-discrimination resolution, which had been introduced by Marina Dmitrievic. This was the rambling manifesto. Which, which essentially says, you know, Milwaukee County stands against discrimination. So the, the this rambling manifesto talks about everything from Donald Trump's orders on immigration to county bus free bus passes for senior citizens. And it, it's just this rambling sort of thing. The fact that you have m- most most of the stuff in this petition is not something that pertains to Milwaukee County at all, or that Milwaukee County supervisors have anything to say over. But nevertheless, it was debated for hours, and now you have you know, Chris Abley signing this resolution, underscoring, as he says, this idea that uh, having, having great men and women who patrol our freeways act as immigration agents and homeland security, that is unacceptable, according to Dmitry Avik. Um, Abley says it's not a Republican issue, it's not a Democrat issue, it's an American issue. So essentially, Milwaukee County coming out and standing on the side, really, of, of open borders, saying, you know, we're not going to cooperate with uh, local law enforcement, and we don't want our local law enforcement to cooperate with federal law enforcement. Now, in this particular case, the resolution has no impact at all. And for everybody out there who thinks that David Clark as the sheriff might have jumped the shark, here's the bottom line. Clark is saying, I, I, I'm a law enforcement guy. I enforce the laws. We will, when appropriate, comply with the laws of the United States. We will cooperate where appropriate with federal officials. And Chris Abley might be out there saying, don't follow the law. Well, Chris Abel is not the one who has to deal with the consequences when somebody, for example, who was apprehended, who should have been turned over to immigration to be deported, um, goes out and commits another crime. Chris Abel is not the one who has to deal with the consequences of that. Marina Dmitrievic does not have to deal with the consequences of that. This is one of those situations where regardless of what you feel about David Clark and whether you think he's been spending too much time 
uh, traveling around the country or doing interviews on Fox News or whatever, this is one of those times where you want to say, you know, thank goodness David Clark is the sheriff because there's at least one grown-up still left in Milwaukee County government who understands that public safety is not something to be messed around with. 1034, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Is it possible the Packers don't yet have a suitable replacement for Ted Thompson? Greg Matzik says they do. He's just not in Green Bay. Join the discussion this evening on Sports Central at 6.07. By the way, you can podcast. You can download the podcast. Greg's podcast is Sports Central. He does an outstanding job. Um, simply by going to WTMJ.com, go to our WTMJ mobile app, and what you'll see is our podcast page. And I know a lot of people behind the scenes have been working very hard on this. Um, we have, you can, we podcast every one of my programs, and I know lots of people are listening. I appreciate that very much. You can download them. You can be notified when, you know, the new ones are posted. We post them, like I say, every day. Um, you can download and listen to the podcasts of Sports Central. And then there's a number of other podcasts that, that don't air on the radio per se. For another interesting voices, some from the world of sports and some uh, just in, in general from, from the world period. Some very interesting podcasts that you can check out. The whole list is, at, again, WTMJ com go to the wtmj mobile app and and while you're there i mean again download the wagner show podcast you can also do that off um the main page at 620 wtmj and then click on the jeff wagner show page when you do what i do for a living especially nowadays with all the different information that's out there one of the things you live in fear of is not not being wrong on your opinion. Okay, I, I, I can take a position on an issue, and then if it turns out that the position is wrong, okay, you, you, you know, you, you've done the best you can. You've, you know, you've, you've made an assessment, and then maybe you come to believe you're wrong or whatever. That, that's okay. And every once in a while, you make predictions, and that's one of the things. If you're going to be a pundit, you put on your pundit hat, and you, you, know, you make predictions. You're expected to do that, and sometimes you're going to be right, and sometimes you're going to be wrong, and you, you, you won't always be right. But you have to realize that sometimes you're going to have to live with the fact that you know, none of us are perfect. If we all knew what was going to happen, we'd all be sitting in the sports books in Las Vegas not working for a living. Okay, so that's the reality, and that comes with the territory. I, I don't mind that. The thing I live in fear of is getting sucked in by fake news. There's so much stuff that is out there. You, you see a story and you say, hey, that's really interesting. I'd like to run with that. And then you run with it and it turns out it's made up. That, that's, that's what you dread because if you do that, that's not a question of being wrong. That's just a question of being sloppy. You know, people who do that, you're, you're just sloppy. You haven't done your research. And, and one of the things I'm always guided by, if a story seems too good to be true, oftentimes it is. By too good, I mean just too interesting. It's just too appealing. It is too talkable. A, a lot of times it is. And so one of the things I have done over the years is rather than rushing with some of these stories I'll, I'll take a step back and sometimes I'll I'll kick these things over I'll get listener tips or whatever and I'll kick them over to the news department and I'll say hey you might want to look at this because an interesting news story if it pans out that's great then we'll, we'll talk about it so th- that's it you don't want to get sucked in to to fake news because then you look you look stupid and you look lazy all right, so we talked about earlier the, the huge flap over the resignation of National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Well, what, what happens is, now he left the White House on, on Monday night. 
early Tuesday morning, a tweet comes out from an account listed to General Mike Flynn. Now, this is what the, the tweet says. While I accept full responsibility for my actions, I feel it is unfair that I have been made the sole scapegoat for what happened. But it is a. But if a scapegoat is scapegoat is what is needed for this administration to continue to take this great nation forward, I am proud to do my duty. The account tweeted in a pair of messages. So, uh, Michael Gen- at. General Mike Flynn, accept full responsibility for my actions. I feel it's unfair that I've been made the sole scapegoat for what happened. If a scapegoat is what is needed for this administration to continue to make the great nation move the great nation forward, I'm proud to do my duty. All right. So yesterday, um, news conference, you've got Nancy Pelosi and Elijah Cummings, who are both Democrats from Congress, who decide that oh, they're going to. This is what they're going to promote. Hey, th- can you believe it? This guy is so arrogant to describe himself as a scapegoat. So at this news conference, Cummings says, Madam Leader, he's referring to Pelosi, just this morning, Flynn tweeted, and this is a quote, scapegoat, end of quote, scapegoat. He basically described himself as a scapegoat. Pelosi added, I have a tweet. I'm going to make, I'm telling my staff right now, it's not a scapegoat, it's Stonewall. And that's exactly what the Republicans in Congress are doing. All right, how dare you? Okay, great. Here here you have a guy, he says, I'm a scapegoat for this, implying that, all right, I, I'm being wrongfully like hung up to dry or whatever. All right, well, you can argue, I guess, whether or not Mike Flynn is a scapegoat or not. Reasonable people can perhaps disagree. The problem, though, is... This account has nothing to do with the real General Michael Flynn, who uses a verified handle of at General Flynn. Flynn had not tweeted from his official account since December. So, all right, the New York Times then also used these tweets in its story on Flynn's resignation. So apparently what happens is someone under this, hey, I'm General Michael Flynn, sends this thing out, and you've got two people in Congress and the New York Times that immediately get sucked into this and assume, well, that's got to be coming from Michael Flynn, so we're going to have we're going to have the press conference and we're going to denounce him and then have to crawl back a couple hours later with their tails between their legs saying, oh, ne- never mind, we were sucked in. So the lesson of this is, especially when it comes to fake news, whether you're a reporter for the New York Times or the local newspaper, or a radio talk show host, or a member of Congress, you might want to be careful. <laughs> you might want to be careful when you're rushing rushing to denounce people based on stuff that you see in social media because it might not be true. Just saying. It is 1042. Coming up next, huge battle brewing over, once again, transgender students in the bathroom. Stick around. It's 1045, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Slapshot. I was at a um, I was at a beer tasting thing last night out in Brookfield, and I was with my, my brother, Scott, and my very best friend, Evan, and Evan Sundin. Dean likes it when his name gets mentioned on the radio. So we were talking about that movie Slapshot. Dean is 24 years old. He's never seen Slapshot. I said, how could you be 24 years old and never seen Slapshot? Scott Warris, who produces our WTMJ. Oh, you've seen Slapshot eight times. No, you've never seen Slapshot either? Oh. Warris has never seen Slapshot. Okay, you're a sport. You do UWM basketball. You're a sports guy. 
You have never seen – Dean is a sports guy. He was a baseball pitcher. You have never seen Slapshot. Well, it, it, okay. You say you've never seen it, – it's, it's a hockey movie, but it's not a hockey movie. It's, it's one of the great comedic movies of all time. It was actually – I was channel surfing the other night. This is my life. I was channel surfing the other night right before the dog show started. This is my life. And um, I saw um, they had a making of Slapshot, and I, it was fascinating. It's uh, you know, This is the 40-year anniversary, so the Admirals are showing Slapshot. If you've never seen Slapshot, you, you have to see it. It's, it's vulgar. Um, you want to see it. You know, you want to see it uncut. You want to see it in its original R-rated version, but it's hysterical. How can you never? I tell you, this younger generation today, we're raising people that have never seen the movie Slapshot. It should be required, required viewing, just saying. All right. This is a controversy that just refuses to go away. Let me review the bidding here. Uh, In the waning days of the Obama administration, uh, President Obama became a staunch advocate for essentially allowing transgender students to to do to make the choices as to where they should be able to change, where they should be able to go to the bathrooms, etc. So Obama's Department of Education issued an order saying that if schools did not allow transgender students to use bathrooms and locker rooms and changing rooms that corresponded to what their identity was. Well, then they would lose federal funding. That, that's the word. So and this isn't just bathrooms, but this was locker rooms as well. So if you have a 16-year-old biological boy, that is with all the boy parts, and that 16-year-old biological boy self-identifies as a girl, and decides that they want to go in and they want to get naked in the girls' changing room together with 13- and 14-year-old girls, that it's up to to the the biological boy who identifies as a girl. They get to do that, and school officials have no say in that. That, That's what the order was. Um, It was challenged in court by a number of states that said, wait a second. You know, the federal government doesn't have the authority to, to do this. This is this is an overreach. There's no there's no constitutional protection of this. And if a state decides that it wants to allow this, it should be the state's rights. But it's not a federal this is a gross overstep by the Department of Education. The there's a judge in Texas who issued an injunction. In other words, he put that rule on hold. He said, at least for the time being, I am not convinced that the Obama administration has the authority to do this. So for the moment, this order from the Department of Education is not going to be enforceable. You know, local districts can decide what they want to do and how they want to handle this. Well, the other day, the Trump administration essentially said, we're backing out of this. We are no longer going to defend the rules that Obama's Department of Education set out. We're, we're not going to defend this any longer. New, There's a new sheriff in town, and we, we don't necessarily agree with this, so we're not defending it. So now these rules and the whole court case is pretty much in limbo, and the injunction remains in place. In other words, the Department of Education can't come in and say to North Carolina, for example, you're allowing, you know, you, you require people to change in the locker rooms that are associated with their their biological identities, not you know what they, they how they self identify, you can't withhold federal funding. So right now the law is very much up in the air, but the Obama administration's rules have been now put on hold. 
But this this issue continues to refuse to it refuses to to go away. 414-799-1620. 800-877-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. Now on the one hand, it is sort of aggravating to me that given all the stuff that's going on in the world nowadays, you know, so many people continue to obsess on, you know, what bathroom should you be allowed to use. Having said all that, having said all that, is it really that unreasonable to allow a state or to allow a local school board to decide what is going to be appropriate when it comes to this issue in their local communities. I mean, if a if a school district decides that, you know, okay, we have, again, we have a 16-year-old student who is biologically, in my example, biologically male, but identifies as a female, that we still think it is inappropriate for that student to be going into the girls' locker room and to be stripping down and to be showering with 13- and 14-year-old girls, regardless of how the kid self-identifies. And if, for example, that local school board wants to say, this is really not that big an issue, we've got one or two students, maybe we've got one student, so we're going to set up a private changing area for them, and we're going to make them use that private changing area. Is that really unconstitutional? Is that really that unreasonable? 414-799-1620, That is the Acunet Mortgage toll-free talk line. I mean, I confess, there are aspects of this conversation that just drive me absolutely crazy. To me, the simple solution to all of this is to simply, for the handful, handful of students across the country that this might involve, the simple solution is just to say, you know, we're going to set up an alternative changing room. You know, we're going to set up an alternate changing room. We're going to set up a unisex bathroom. And if there's issues, okay, normally boys use the boys' bathroom. Girls use the girls' bathroom. If we've got a student that's in, that's got this, this self, that self-identifies as a different gender, fine. You know, use this changing room. Use this bathroom. Doesn't that solve the whole problem? 414-799-1620-800-877-1620. Has common sense really gone completely and totally out the window? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1052. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Ten fifty-five. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's talk to uh, start with Mike in Mequon. Mike, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. I, th- th- this whole conversation drives me crazy. I admit it seems to me it's it's it is just so simple. We we don't need the Department of Education telling schools what they have to do and what they can do and can't do to get federal money. This this goes beyond the pale. I mean, if you want, okay, I'm going to self-identify myself as President of the United States now. <laughs> right. I mean, this is ridiculous. Right. Who gets to determine what they are by just determining it? Right. You know, by, by, about, you're, you're talking about facilities. And you know, separate facilities for these uh, these people that identify themselves that way, but then they're going to scream separate but equal. But no, it's completely different from that because it's a physical differentiation. Well, well and yeah, it's crazy. Well, it is. I mean, I, I go back. You know, several months ago, you had a UWM student who was apparently starting his transition phase. The the guy, the person, he's biologically a male, 
looked like a male, in large part dressed like a male, and he shows up at UWM and he wants to go in and use the, the get naked and use the woman's sauna. Okay, and they, they they said no. I mean, is that really that unreasonable position? I mean, I don't know if I if I was a female and I was in the wooden women's sauna together with maybe my you know my eight year old daughter and I'm sitting there. I don't want some naked guy. I don't care what he. I don't care what he identifies himself as. He's yeah. got boy parts. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That, that, that's you know, it. I don't want my daughter exposed. I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, well, it no, is. I'm right. It is. Nobody, nobody's responsible anymore. You don't want. You know, I, I want to be a woman. I'm a man, but I want to be a woman. Well, God bless. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you get to go and share everything with women. Well, it, well, ex- exactly. Until you have completed your transit transformation. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Now, and by the way. By the way, there might be some local communities that decide we don't care about this. This isn't a big deal. And I've, I've always made the distinction. I see bathrooms in this as as different than locker rooms and saunas and changing rooms because there's a degree of privacy. You know, you can go into the stalls and it's not it, – it, there's a degree of privacy that, that's different from the changing rooms. But regardless, I mean, when did this become the, this national sort of issue? And I, I, this doesn't occur that often. And, again, I just keep coming back. It's the common sense approach just – a separate bathroom, a separate changing room, that solves this whole thing. But, of course, a lot of the people that are pushing this, you're exactly right. They end up saying, well, it's, this is, you know, it's separate but equal. You know, we're, we're being discriminated against. No, I mean, I don't know about you, but I have to tell you, Hondo, if they gave me my own bathroom here at WTMJ, I would be saying I should put that in the next contract. I want my own bathroom. I mean, I want my own changing room. I would love that. That, that would be that would be just absolutely great. No waiting. Tom and Racine. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Tom. I, I really do think that it is a common-sense solution. It has to be the most psychologically and socially accessible solution. We have uh, a man with the mind of a man in the men's bathroom and a woman with the mind of a woman or child in, the, in a female body. There can be a male or female in the body of a separate sure. or, 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 you know, the, yep. the different gender physically and have that be a bathroom because it's, it's the, the bathrooms are separated so that people aren't uncomfortable yeah. around each other. And to force one to feel discomfort just because you want to feel like you are fitting in, you're not really fitting in. You're, you're like yeah. a, a rover among two lands and... Well, Right. It, it, it just, it's just the simple, so, right. It's a simple solution. You, you don't make the person, the, the transgender person, you, you don't force them into a situation where they are, they are uncomfortable because they identify as a female, but now they're, you know, they're required to go into the men to, to change in front of men, vice versa. And you don't make, again, the, the woman that's in the ladies locker room with her eight year old daughter who's got a guy who's identifies as a female, God bless him, or her, but they got got male parts. No, it's just this is so it is so simple, it is so straightforward, and yet we've launched into this huge culture war on this. This is another example where I, I think Trump is doing absolutely the right thing by saying, I don't want the federal government as part of this. And so, you know, we're not going to proceed. I, in my opinion, the Department of Education was way out of line in issuing this ruling in the first place, regardless of what you think about the merits. So that's where it stands. It is ten fifty nine a lot of great stuff coming up in the next hour of the program. Taxpayers of Milwaukee, the revolutionary Black Panther Party wants $400 million. And Pop Culture Corner, stick around.
1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ Pop Culture Corner, coming up in about 25 minutes. Give you a hint. Uh, John, John Mellencamp playing at State Fair. That's quite a get for my friend Kathleen O'Leary at State Fair, and uh, I'm sure that's going to be a great show. I saw him in concert once, and uh, our Pop Culture Corner going to be related to that, so that should be a lot of fun. Okay. Um, there is no question that you have, in many urban areas, crime, which is simply, the, the crime levels are, are out of control. And as I was saying the other day, the most people are good, law-abiding citizens. M- most, most people are. Most of us go through life, with the exception, perhaps, of, of an occasional speeding ticket or something like that, having little or no contact with, with law enforcement. I mean, that, that's, that's just the way most people live their lives. And by the way, that's the way most people, it doesn't matter whether in rural America or urban America, that's the way most people live their lives. They have little or no contact with law enforcement. There is a segment of society that, that has repeated contact with law enforcement. And that's why if, if you talk to police officers, you talk to prosecutors, one of the great frustrations is that the vast majority of crime is committed by a, a, a limited number of people who keep committing crimes over and over and over again. It, it's just, you know, continuing like that. And the frustration is that we're unable to deal with that criminal element among us. And they keep getting out and they keep committing crimes and doing things like that. And, and as a result, everybody ends up feeling unsafe. And the perception gets out there that you know various areas are, in fact, unsafe because of high crime rates, when the truth is, yeah, they might be unsafe, and yes, there might be a high crime rate, but it doesn't mean everybody in the particular area is a criminal. It just means that there are repeat criminals who keep getting out and doing the same thing over and over and over again, and, and people are, are looking for answers. Now, Chicago has become pretty much of a, of a killing ground um, so far this year. Now, let me see. The story I have is from about four days ago, so I'm sure the number ha- has changed. But um, in Chicago, in Chicago this year alone, so we're sitting here, it is what, February 16th? Is that the day? February 16th. So far in Chicago, so we're, what, six weeks into the new year, there have been 228 shootings. 228 shootings in the first X number of weeks of 2017, um, 42 killings. And again, every time you have a every time you have a shooting, it is but for the grace of God that that doesn't turn into a, a killing. I mean, anytime somebody is shot, if 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 they don't die, it's because they got lucky or because of advances in you know emergency medicine or maybe the the bad guy was just a, a bad shot, but. 42 killings, 228 shootings. That is up 24% from the same time last year. So um, you have Donald Trump, who, who President Trump is pretty much at, at war with lots of people, including you know the former uh, chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, to Barack Obama, who is now the, the mayor of, of Chicago. And you know Emanuel will, will poke at um, 
Trump, and President Trump will then respond by saying, hey, I'm essentially I'm getting static from you know the mayor of Chicago, and, and look at what's going on in Chicago. It is essentially a, a killing field. And so what, what Trump has said, he said, look, if, if Chicago can't get a handle on its crime, maybe what we should do is have, have the feds you know, come in and then start, again, whether it's deploying troops, and I, I, theoretically there's you know, authority for him to do that, but I don't think, I don't think that would be wise, but, but doing you know, other, other things like essentially having, putting more resources into federal law enforcement and being more aggressive using federal laws more often, being more aggressive in trying to deal with the hardcore criminals. Okay, I want to open the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. Now, again, what you have is local officials, starting with the mayor, completely and totally appalled that Donald Trump would even suggest that we're going to have increased federal presence and increased federal involvement. I I want to turn this around. Whether it's Tom Barrett or the mayor of Chicago or the mayor of New York or the mayor of Washington, D.C., any community dealing with skyrocketing crime rates or rates of violent crime, wouldn't you, if you were being responsible, wouldn't you welcome an increased presence of federal law enforcement people. Now, again, I'm, I'm not talking about deploying troops and putting National Guardsmen at every street corner, but but if the idea was we're going to put more ATF agents in and we're going to commit more federal prosecutors and we're going to start taking responsibility for more of the prosecutions of violent crime under federal laws where the federal penalties are tougher, isn't that a good thing? And shouldn't the mayors of these crime-ridden cities be welcoming that in an effort to try to get the hardcore repeat offenders off the streets? Or is this a matter that the federal government just has no business doing? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Toll-Free Talk Line. You know, whether... I guess instead of arguing, gee, you know, President Trump is talking about sending in the feds, how dare he? I would think that every mayor of a crime-plagued area should be, I don't know, standing and lying, saying to the president, help us. Exactly. Give us more federal agents. Give us more federal resources. Give us more federal prosecutors. Let's get the bad guys off the streets. Is that really so unreasonable? We discuss next. 414-799-1620 is the number. It's 1114. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, Brewers, Pitchers, and Catchers in Arizona for spring training. Our very own Matt Pauley sets the scene with the guys in Arizona in the latest Brewers X Training podcast on the WTMJ mobile app. Like I say, to check out the new, check out the podcast page. If you go to WTMJ.com, you'll see our mobile app. Um, we, we podcast this show. And thank you for downloading that and listening to this. We podcast Sports Central, and then we also podcast a variety of other things, Brewers X Trainings as well. But a lot of stuff gets podcast, including things that aren't on the regular radio, that regular extraterrestrial radio. Um, very, very good. I know the people that have been working on it, working real hard. Check that out. Okay, I just, again, maybe it's just I, I, I'm getting too old to, to put up with the political you-know-what. Okay, Chicago, like many urban areas, it's just it's plagued with crime. 
It is just plagued with crime. Shootings are through the roof. Murders through the roof. And so, you know, the president, who is thin-skinned, admittedly, he gets poked by the mayor of Chicago. So his response is, hey, this guy's poking me and all sorts of stuff. Hey, maybe what we need to do is we need to send the feds in because he can't take care of the city of Chicago's crime problems. Then it just escalates into this whole thing. But, I, I mean, wouldn't you want, whether you're Tom Barrett or whether you're Rahm Emanuel or you're a mayor of any of these urban areas that have these huge problems with crime, wouldn't you welcome federal involvement. Now, I'm not talking about troops on the street corners, like I say, but more federal prosecutors, you know, more federal agents, more money to help, you know, catch the crooks. Let's talk to Jim on the northwest side. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, actually, getting more more individuals involved in arrests is, is not a bad idea, but cri- crime fighting is actually twofold. And if Chicago has the same problem as Milwaukee, that is, once they're arrested, uh, they're they're let go on a yep. very minimal bail, or uh, they're not really punished for their crime. Yep. Uh, you can put all the troops you want on the ground, and if the courts don't do anything once they're arrested, yep. it's futile. No, and and that's and I think I mean thanks to call Jim that that is a fair criticism. That's one of the reasons why by funneling more more criminals into federal courts, um, you, you alleviate some of that problem because in the federal court system, generally speaking, you've got mandatory minimum sentences where you know you, you commit crimes with firearms, for example. You have to go to prison for X amount of time. The sentences are going to be longer. See, that that's the answer, because, and you're right, because part of the problem, for example, we'll take Milwaukee County, is that you have lots of repeat criminals who are given chance after chance after chance and the, the judges that give them chance after chance after chance are, are never held accountable. One of the things I was talking about yesterday, there's actually a columnist in the Chicago Tribune named John Cass who, who wrote this piece pushing for something he calls the Judicial Accountability Act, which essentially says for crimes, certain types of crimes, crimes of violence, crimes with guns, for judges who do not impose, say, maximum sentences, they're gonna, they, sh- they should be required to say in writing why they are deciding to do this. This is why, you know, put in writing, this is why I decided to let this 18-year-old guy with a juvenile record as long as your arm, who's just stuck a gun in somebody's face and carjacked uh, a lady's vehicle, um, this is why I've decided to give him three years in prison and suspend the sentence and have him serve 60 days at the House of Correction. All right, they would have to put that in writing, so then... Just like we know, as sure as night follows day, as soon as the guy gets out after 60 days, he's going to be doing it again. It, it, he's part of that, that criminal class. At least then you'd have a judge on record. So theoretically, somebody in the news media, somebody with a radio talk show, could, could pick that up and you could call out the judges. Part of the problem now is there's, this, there's a degree of anonymity. Yeah, you wonder, you say, okay, here, how is this guy out? How did he get this bail? But as a general rule— and unless it's a really, really high-profile case, like somebody who's been 
a fugitive for months and months charged with really serious stuff, and he set out on a like a stupid bail, stupidly low bail set by um, a magistrate judge or set by a court commissioner who, who must not have been paying attention. Unless it's something that really immediately catches people's attention, it ends up getting lost. Um, have an email. And this is, I think it's an accurate point. Um, as bad as the homicide total in Chicago is, the homicide rate, um, at least for 2016, was actually higher in Milwaukee. I'd have to go back and check it, but that may very well be right. Again, the, the rate, not the raw number of homicides, but per 100,000 people or something. And like, like I say, if, if you talk to cops. This is not this revolutionary type of thing. I mean, they will tell you that it's it's a relatively small number of people, a criminal class that includes kids, 13, 14, and 15, who, if not career criminals, are already well on their way to being career criminals. And at some point in time, you got to say, aren't we about protecting the, the general public? And if we could identify, and then once we catch, keep, even if it means warehousing, this criminal class, wouldn't the streets be a lot safer? Just saying. It's 1123. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Turn on the microphone, Jeff. It works better. It's 1125. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. What makes Racine tick? Mayor John Dickert shares all the latest happenings from his city when he sits down with our Eric Bilstadt in the latest edition of WTMJ Conversations. Listen to the show on the WTMJ mobile app. Christine in Green Bay. Christine, good morning. Hi there. Hi, Christine. I was listening to your previous caller, and I do somewhat agree with him. However, I do. I have a 22-year-old that is uh, serving a year of service in Chicago Public Schools, and um, huh. is, is, is she student? Is, is she student teaching or what? She is. She's okay. um, huh. giving a year of service through the AmeriCorps program, okay. and um, teaches in a the heart of the hood, and and it just scares me. We're from Little Green Bay, and you know we live in a bubble up there, and it scares me to death every day to have her go to that school. Right. And, I mean, she's, she's very safe when she's in the school, but it's getting her there and getting her back. That's mm-hmm. very scary. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, where does she live in downtown Chicago or the Burbs? Or she, does lives, she, li- she lives in the Burbs, northern Burbs. Okay. So she, she goes out via her car every day, uh, via Cicero, Ogden, you know, those. Right. Right, right through it. Right. Well, no, see, I mean, so, I mean, when you hear this, I guess, m- Mom, your reaction is pretty oh. much, hey, anything you got to do to try to make it safer down there, huh? I do, I do, I agree with that. However, I, I mean, she teaches fourth grade, and it's the saddest part about this whole thing is the fact that these kids are so immune to the crime. Yeah. And I said to the guy that that screened me in, and I said, if if those kids saw the National Guard on the street corner, it probably wouldn't phase them. If someone in Green Bay saw the National Guard on the <laughs> street corner, it'd be a whole different story. Right. And these kids are so immune to the crime. Right. And and you know, and it, and it's not fair. I mean, see, I. I, I, when, I did not grow up in neighborhoods where you're awakened three or four times a night by the sound of gunfire or police sirens. And it just, and, and I think you're right. You do become just numb to that after a while. It's if so that's, numb. yeah, it, it's, um, I was, the, the other day I, I was at a, I was at a party and I met a, a, a wonderful couple who just got back. They were doing missionary work in South Sudan, which is, it, it's, it's, the, as she described it to me, it's like fifth world. It's not third world. And it's in the middle of a civil war. And they went to, they were working in an orphanage and they went to sleep every night with gunfire and mortar shelling. And I'm like, can, how, how how do people live like that? And to your point, how do kids grow up where, again, it's gunfires and the and gunfire and the cops on the street all the time and drug houses Constantly. and those things? 
Yeah. And, and even last weekend, they had a, there was a murder. I was down there visiting her last weekend, and they had an 11-year-old girl that got shot. Well, we know she's not a criminal, and she was caught in the crossfire. And that's my biggest fear with my daughter is that she somehow will get caught in the crossfire. And, and, and what to do with it is, I, yeah, I don't know the answer. I, I mean, they had the Secretary of Education down there talking about how it needs to start even at, at age four and five and sure. six, because by the time they get to be even 12, they're already trying to decide what gang they're going to join. Yeah. No, and, and, that, that's, and that's why, I mean, I am afraid in some urban areas what, where we have lost maybe a generation or, or two generations of, of young people who grow up, whether it's desensitized or just this is normal or, or this, is, this is what life is. You know, you're 12 years old, you make the decision as to what gang you're going to be in. Or, you know, who wants to stay in school where you can, when you can make all this money selling dope or, or doing whatever. And, and what your future is nothing. If, right. School gives you no future. Right. Um, I, is, once your daughter completes her year, is she going to stay, or do you think she's going to be somewhere else? She's actually applying to grad school at Marquette. So okay. That's, that's the next place. <laughs> okay. So she's coming back to another urban area. <laughs> that's, that's right. That's I understand. Right. Christine, thanks a lot. I appreciate the call. And uh, Yeah, I mean, it, it just it is. Your, your heart goes out. Whenever I talk about these topics, I understand there's people say, oh, you're this, you know, this really, like, hardcore, you know, anti-crime guy, and you don't want to hold— Yeah, I am. I mean, because it, you— until you get a handle on crime in areas, I don't think it's a chicken and the egg thing. I don't think I don't think you can bring jobs into a community until you have a handle on crime because businesses aren't going to want to locate in high crime areas. You know, you, you've got to get a handle on crime and then everything else flows from that. So that's I mean, that is my starting point. And yes, I don't apologize for wanting to hold people who are behaving in antisocial fashions and career criminals. I don't apologize for wanting to hold them accountable. It's eleven thirty five, Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. As I was driving in this morning. I was listening to conversations speculating that Scott Walker might be the new Secretary of, of Labor in the, um, after the withdrawal of Andrew Puzder. I was screaming at the radio, going, this is, this is not going to happen. <laughs> it is, Walker is not leaving Wisconsin to be the Secretary of the Department of Labor. And it just it, it, it was a non-starter. Apparently, he was on some short list that the Washington Post had or something like that. It, it, it could have been a short list. It could have been a long list. It was not... It was not going to happen. Um, I guess maybe if if the president of the United States goes to and says, you're the only person in the country, you, you're, you need to serve your country, maybe it makes it impossible to say yes. But Scott Walker had no interest in being the secretary of labor. It was not going to happen. And um, the breaking news is President Trump is now announcing that Alexander Acosta, who is the dean of the Florida International University Law School, um, he's going to be nominated to be the new secretary of labor. Um, the pick is going to be announced, you know, at any time. But that's the uh, that's the word that's out there. Um, they're they're not letting any grass grow under their feet uh, with the withdrawal of the one guy. Now they're moving to. I really don't know anything about Acosta, but that, that for Wisconsin's purposes, it's not going to be Scott Walker. It was never going to be Scott Walker, but now it is official. Uh, Alexander Acosta, who's again a dean at Florida International uh, Law School. Um, he is going to be nominated to be the new labor secretary. My guess is he will probably skate through confirmation. The, the, the Democrats, they, they, they wanted a couple scalps. They, they, they wanted to be able to say, okay, we, we're going to stop a couple cabinet nominations, and, and this, of course, is going to be one of them. So I, I, suspect, I suspect that whoever is next will kind of um, skate through. All right. 
This is the portion of the show. This is a carryover. When we started doing the morning show, we I, I did this every Friday afternoon in the last half hour of the segment. It's a very popular segment, so you know we brought it. We do it Thursday mornings because on Friday at eleven thirty we do the uh, we do a weekend review segment. But I call it Pop Culture Corner. We are live streaming it on Facebook Live, so you can go to um, our w www.facebook.com slash 620WTMJ, and, and you can watch us do it. We turn on the big lights in the studio. Knowing we were going to do this, as a matter of fact, I am wearing my brand new, like Margaritaville, long-sleeve orange shirt, you know, kind of getting ready for the spring and the music thing. I've, I've got that on. Um, actually, it was it was discounted. The, the stuff... The stuff costs just a ton of money, and this was one, and I'm never able to find stuff like in the overstock things, but this, I like the shirt. It's a color I enjoy, so, you know, check it out. Um, you can see this on our Facebook Live page. Um, sometimes for Pop Culture Corner, we talk about movies. I'm a movie buff, TV, books, sports, food, just whatever is going on in a given day that kind of tickles my fancy that I think might tickle your fancy. And, of course, today the, the big news is that John Mellencamp is going to be headlining the Wisconsin State Fair on August 4th. Um, Mellencamp, apparently he's going to be, you know, touring following the release in April of his 23rd studio album. Um, He was at the Riverside Theater in June of 2015. I saw that show. He did an absolutely tremendous show. I've seen Mellencamp at Summerfest once or twice. I've seen him a couple other places, too. John Mellencamp does does a great show. But what really struck me about Mellencamp is you forget how many songs he, he has. I mean, it's really, here's a guy who, again, is, is just a great American songwriter and performer. And, you know, just like, I would say, Tom Petty and Willie Nelson and a couple other people, I mean, if you listen to their catalog of songs, it's, it's like the Great American Songbook, and it's amazing. You're sitting there listening going, I forgot that he did this song, or I forgot that he did that song, and he always puts on a very, very good show. So this is a big get for State Fair, and I have no doubt that it's going to do very well. But with Mellencamp coming, I, I got to thinking about... Well, I don't know, different concerts I've seen, but also the different music I listen to. And I listen to music a lot. I um, I carry around my MP3 player, and as I'm sitting around the house or as I'm out, as particularly sitting around the house, I'll, I'll be sitting there and I'll be listening to music, and um, you would be amazed at the different things that I have on, on my iPod. It is a very eclectic combination of stuff, and it just kind of depends on the mood I'm in. And I'm always looking for, you know, that, that album, that CD that really just – that just I, I really enjoy and I never get tired of listening to. And I will tell you, despite the fact that I don't even know how many thousands of songs I have on, on my you know iPod, I, I, I always keep coming back to you know really a handful of records slash CDs slash albums now on the iPod and, and listening to them. And I thought in recognition of John Mellencamp coming to State Fair and the Great American Songbook, for Pop Culture Corner today, we would do, I mean, what they commonly call a, a desert island disc segment. That is, all right, you're stranded on the desert island. You've got a generator. You've got the refrigerator that's got some beer in it or whatever your libation of choice is, Diet Coke or whatever. You've managed to salvage the CD player from the shipwreck. But but as you were getting out of the shipwreck, you were only able to grab one album, one CD, and get away with it. So you're stuck on the desert island. What is, what is that one album? What is that one CD that if you knew that you that's the only one that you're going to be able to listen to for 
uh, the foreseeable future until that rescue ship comes and gets you off of Gilligan's Island. What would your desert island CD be? 414-799-1620, 800-877-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage toll-free talk line. As I always say during these segments, our, our lines tend to jam up quickly, so call in early. want to get to as many calls as we possibly can. Go with your first instinct. There's no need to overthink this. All right, that, that Desert Island CD or album, the one you never get tired of listening to, you can also participate via email and, of course, Facebook Live. We're live streaming right now. We're back with all that. Coming up next, it's 1141. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Let's have some fun. 1144, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You can watch this segment, facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Dan, who's putting this together, Hunter, you're supposed to tell me. He told me I had headphone head, that there was like a stick of strand of hair that was like sticking up. So it's Okay, Tondo says I look amazing. Yeah, four one four seven nine nine one six two zero. It's Pop Culture Corner. All right, the, the Desert Island Disc. You're jumping off the ship. You can only grab one CD or album. What's it going to be? Let's start with Ryan in Oconto. Ryan, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Hey, how's it going? Um, the one that I always come back to is uh, the Beatles, Sergeant Pepper's, Lonely Hearts Club Band. What, uh, one of the one of the great records of all time, no question about it. Yeah, it's got a little of everything on it, and it, it was the first album that really opened me up to different kinds of music, and it, it's always there. It's always in the playlist, and yeah, yeah. if I was to grab one, that would be it. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, was, I was in a bar. What a surprise. I was in a bar last night at a beer testing, tasting, and, and they, they were actually playing a couple tunes from Sgt. Pepper's over the uh, loudspeaker. Um, Carmen says, Johnny Rivers rocks the folk. I love Johnny Rivers. Uh, Karen says, uh, Bruce Springsteen, The Rising. Hmm, interesting. Uh, Jamie writes on Facebook Live, Michael Jackson's History, all his greatest songs in one album, and Yes, he confesses to being a, uh, it's a she, Jamie, confesses to being a child of the 1980s. Let's talk to Bill in Waukegan. Bill, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, good morning. The White Album. Oh, the can't White go, Album. You, you, can't go wrong, you can't go wrong with the Beatles, and you can argue that Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album, those, those were the two, maybe with Revolver, those were the two or three definitive Beatles records that are out there. I've heard this since I was five years old, and it, through my lifetime, I went through so many copies of these <laughs> albums because I just played them out so much. Yeah, no, and, it's uh, outstanding. No, you, you're right. I mean, that, that's. I mean, again, it was another. It was just one of these sort of transformative records. Um, no question about it. Let's talk to um, Eric in Waukesha. Eric, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. Okay. The okay. You got one album, one disc that you can grab. What's it going to be? Aerosmith Rock. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a, now, I, I, I mean, I know Aerosmith. I, I don't know that one particular album. Is that is that a compilation, or is that just is that just one of theirs, one of the regulars? Uh, it's an earlier album. Okay. Like, 76, I think. Got it. It's probably one of my first albums when I started finally buying the albums. Got it. Okay. Any, see, I'm a big Aerosmith fan as well. Facebook Live, Ted, um... Guy after my own heart, John Prine's greatest hits. I am, uh, I am a huge John Prine fan. I first started seeing him when he started playing uh, back in the seventies. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dan in Sheboygan Falls. Dan, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. It would have to be Super Trap Breakfast in America. One of the great rock and roll albums of all time. <laughs> Absolutely. I, you know, a little Super Tramp goes a long way with me, but Breakfast in America, I've got that on my, I've got that on my MP3 player as well. <laughs> have now, a good day. Now, thanks for calling. Now, that no question about it. Um, Nicole on Facebook Live says Joshua Tree. Yeah, if I was going to have. 
if matter of fact, I, I think I might only have one U2 album, and, and that's Joshua Tree. They're touring. I want to say off the top of my head, it's the 25th anniversary. By t- Time flies. I think it's the 25th anniversary of that, and they're they're touring behind it. My understanding is a U2 tour. They're going to play the Joshua Tree in its entirety. 414-799-1620. Oh, got to go this. Joe in Mayville. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, I'd have to say Pink Floyd. Okay. Uh, I'd have to have that considering I'm stranded on an island. I something relaxing. <laughs> relaxing, huh? <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure I would consider Pink Floyd the Wall to be relaxing, but I, I know what you're talking about. It's a great album. Yep, it just, sure is. Yeah, it's a great album. The um, I've told this story before. Um, when I was in law school, um, I, I lived in this this townhouse off of 60th and Good Hope, um, and um, what happened was. The, the, the townhouse next to us, they, 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 were, they were all attached. Um, nobody really lived there. It was a bunch of guys that worked at this railroad who decided that it was cheaper. Rather than going out to bars, it would be cheaper to rent a place that they could use as a party house. So they all worked second shift. So there was never anybody home except at about 11.30, three nights a week, all these people descended, had this wild party till like 3 or 4 in the morning. Now, I wouldn't necessarily cared about that, except, number one, they didn't invite me. And number two, I, I, was, I was in law school at the time, and I'm trying to study. But they would always start off the party by playing Pink Floyd, The Wall. So um, whenever I think about Pink Floyd, The Wall, I think about... Those townhouses on 60th and Good Hope and hearing every tune between the wall. We went to complain to the station, to the people that own the, the, the things, the managers, and said, well, I've tried to find people and talk to them, but there's never anybody there. I said, no, because there's nobody that lives there. They come over at 1130 at night, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Brad in Brookfield. Brad, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Good show today. Thank you, I've sir. I've always been a fan of yours. Thank you. That's very kind of you. I appreciate it. Uh, the one album that I would have to take, and I think it's the album that defined them as a great band, is Led Zeppelin Two. Yeah, if, if you know, if I were gonna, if if you said to me you only get one Zeppelin album, it would be Led Zeppelin Two, right? Because I, I think you're right. It it just that was the one. I like your phrase, defined them as a band. It really it's when they kind of came together. Yeah, when they uh, when when you go from uh, what is and what should never be, and thank you, and right. love and love and made heartbreaker. It's such a wide variety of songs too, and it's just yeah. a fantastic album. No, I, I thanks. No, I'm 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 a I'm a big Zeppelin fan, and I, I, I their earlier stuff. I think Led Zeppelin two is right up there. I agree with you. Let's talk to Kim in Brookfield. Kim, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Kim. Okay, you get one record. You're on the desert island. You've got the generator. What's it going to be? Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, because I think ever, you're going to be depressed, and so you need something really <laughs> up and funky and dancing. And so, so when so when the ship comes to get you off of Gilligan's Island, when that rescue ship arrives, you're going to be rocking out. You're going to be dancing to the funk of Earth, Earth Wind, and Fire. Doing- I'm going to have my diet cooking and just go dancing. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Okay, see, that is, that is the attitude and that is the spirit behind this. Okay, Facebook uh, Live, and again, we, we live stream this, and you can watch it after the fact as well. Um, Steve writes, Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. I li- that, actually, I listened to that probably within the last week. Um, Eric says, The Doors' Greatest Hits. Donna says, Blood on the Tracks as well. So, yeah, a lot of... Um, I mean, I, if, if I were picking a Dylan one, it would be Blood on the Tracks, maybe Blonde on Blonde. Um, yeah, um, let's see. David on the south side. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. Hi great show. Thanks. Um, 
probably moving pictures by Rush. Okay, tell me why. Um, each song on that is like a little vignette, and so it takes you through a lot of different um, mood changes throughout the record. Uh, it's seven songs. They're all very, very good songs. There's not right. a bad song. Right. And it was, it was their defining uh, album, I believe, where everything just kind of lined up perfectly for them. Okay, so I'm, I'm actually I'm, I'm actually making a note right now, because I'm, I'm not, f- I mean, I'm familiar with Rush. I'm not familiar, I can, I'm trying to picture that particular album, but Moving Pictures, it's worth listening Tom to, Sawyer, huh? Tom Sawyer was the, the best-known song on that album. Okay, um, all right. Okay, good enough. No, see, I'm see, I'm learning something new. See, that's it. This is trying. I, that's one of the reasons I love doing these segments. Is it helps me get some new ideas as well. Okay, thanks for calling. I mean, I know Rush, but I I got to pick the album. Um, Dave and Racine. Dave, good morning. You're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. How about the soundtrack from UHF and other stuff by Weird Al Yankovic? It's got a, a the Hot Rocks polka, which is a medley of Stones tunes to a polka beat, uh-huh. and there's a called Isle Thing, which is about a guy who gets hooked on Gilligan's Island. <laughs> well, there, there you go. Can't go wrong with can't go wrong with uh, Weird Al, Mary Sue, and Delavan. Mary Sue, I had to take your call. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Jeff. The album is Jimmy Buffett's greatest hit. Uh, or, or maybe like the the well, I mean, there, there's so much. You know, um, I have to tell you, my favorite Jimmy Buffett album. It's the one that really got me turned on to Buffett. Um, is A One A? That's that's one of if I, you know, I, I that's one of the you know originals. That's it's probably about his fourth album, and that's the one when I'm looking for a a comfort record. That's the one I always go back to. But you cannot go wrong. No, thanks for calling, Mary. You cannot go wrong. With, with anything from Jimmy Buffett. A1A is mine. Uh, John writes on Facebook Live, Jackson Brown's Late for the Sky. Uh, that is his first one. Is I, I think that's his first album. I think Late for the Sky is his first one. Um, lots of good stuff on that. Uh, Byron writes, Beach Boys' Greatest Hits. Steely Dan's Aja. Yeah, Steely Dan's Aja. That's... That's a pretty darn good one, too. My Old School is one of my favorite Steely Dan songs. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, White Album, uh, Sticks, Dave Clark 5, lots of great suggestions. We're kind of up against the clock. You can check. Um, thanks for all the emails. Thanks for participating on Facebook Live. We post this so you can continue the conversation. That's one of the fun things. You can go back and watch it, continue the conversation as well. I think um, now A1A from Jimmy Buffett, that's my, uh, that is my kind of go-to album. If I had to name one, that would be it, but lots of good suggestions. Okay, 1155. We're going to find out what's going on in WTMJ today in just a couple minutes. Stick around. 1158, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I don't have to go home, but I can't stay here because WTMJ today is coming on. Eric's Bill Stats, Steve Scafidi. Hi, guys. Hello. I have a a very random one for you. you, Great albums to bring to a desert album. Have you ever heard of Shake Your Money Maker by the Black Crows? (laughs) I've heard of the Black Crows, but no, not Shake Your Money Maker. It's every track is a quality track. It's, okay. not, it's not the Stones, not the Beatles, but every track. It's oh, probably come on. You just wanted to say old. Shake Your Money Maker on, yeah, on the radio. That's, that's what it was really all about, yeah. yes. <laughs> Check that one out in the old iTunes. Okay, what are you, uh, what you guys, what are guys coming, up on the, got coming up on the big show? Well, finally, uh, we can all sleep tonight because we know who the Labor Secretary <laughs> is. Donald Trump is announcing it as we speak. Whew. Does anybody care about these choices anymore? I, no. I don't think they do. Well, also, I mean, I saw I saw Walker was on the short. It was never going to be Scott Walker. I mean, it, he, that that's not 
That is not a position he had any interest in. It would mm-hmm. have been a dead end job. Tommy Thompson went and died there, you know, politically. And he says that at every time he speaks yeah. at an event. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, Governor Walker throwing more water on it today. And, of course, that's he's not the guy. Sean Duffy saying he is out for senator. So we're going to dig into that. Plus, much more during 4 at 1 on this superintendent case. This whole run for superintendent, the state DPI head, the the fact that two candidates seem to be working together to maybe hire one for the there's so much going on. I mean, there. I can understand two people getting together and saying, "Hey, maybe one of us should drop out so we have a stronger mm-hmm. you know that so you don't have to spend time. money yeah. in the primary and things like that." But cutting deals like this this seems crazy to me. I, it, that cannot be normal behavior for candidates. So we will dissect that. Uh, and then, of course, the other overriding thing is: Does anybody really care about the state superintendent <laughs> of schools race? Which is the overriding thing. Okay, um, I'm out of time. I'm back 8.30 tomorrow morning. When we do it all again, stick around for WTMJ Today. This is Jeff Wagner.